Good morning. Hope everybody's doing, doing well this morning. If you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. We have a pretty good crowd. We had a little get-together last night at the Leaps house for uh, Fort Hill, so it's glad to have everybody here from that. From what I heard, they did not get much sleep last night, so they stayed up all night, which is great. Um, a couple announcements before we have our services. Um, don't forget, today is the wedding shower for Samantha Miller and Ben uh, Turner. That starts at 2 o'clock to 2 to 3.30 here at the building, and all ladies are invited to that. Um, also, senior reception is July 26 at 10.30. Following our 10.30 services, our seniors are Ramsey Ash, Holly Leap, and everyone is invited to that. Remember the Legg family in your prayers, uh, Carol Legg, which used to be a member here years ago, passed away. Our funeral was at Rome yesterday. So remember to continue to keep the Legg family in your prayers, the loss of Carol. Ed Walls is now recovering at home, so that's great news. Just remember to continue to keep him in your prayers. David Hughes, as Sandy Hughes' son and brother of Jennifer Ward, has been diagnosed with the COVID-19 virus. So remember to continue to keep him in your prayers. Jackson Walker is Brandon Leslie's son and Jeff and Jackie Floyd's grandson. Uh, recently fractured his back uh, in uh, three different places. Uh, he's wearing a back brace right now. So remember to continue to keep him in your prayers. Right now, uh, Jeff showed me a picture. He looks like Iron Man and uh, wearing that back brace. It looks kind of cool. So, uh, so maybe send him a card of encouragement. I know he'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, Penny Jessup uh, continues to recover at home as well. And Dottie Hager and Kristen Ward, are, they're continuing on going through their cancer treatment. So remember to continue to keep them in your prayers. And um, Sue Powell's birthday is today. If you can send her a card of encouragement. I announced her this morning. She was here at the early service, and she got embarrassed. So that was a lot of fun embarrassing her. And also, Babe Jones turns 102 this week, so that's amazing. So remember to continue to keep, um, maybe send them a card of encourage, a happy birthday card. I know they'd greatly appreciate that. As Chris has been talking in the book of Psalms, uh, I'd like to read Psalms 100, 1 through 4. And it says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of the pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. And it's time to go to God in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful and blessed to be able to be here, be able to worship you, to sing praises to you, Lord. We ask you to be with Chris as he gives us the lesson and be with Jason as he sings us our songs, Lord. Just be with them and bless them, Lord. Continue to be with our elders, and we're so thankful for them, and continue to be with them as they make decisions for his congregation. Let them continue staying true to your word. Lord, we ask you this time to continue to bless this congregation. We are so thankful for, for everyone who is here. Lord, be with us as we, as we praise you, Lord. But most of all, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us, for a sinner's death, Lord. Lord, be with us now. Let us worship you. 
and always put you first in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, when we do fall short. In Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Good morning. Our first song is number 598. Let's please stand. <clears throat> Standing on the promises.
Will you pray with me, please? <clears throat> Father, we are so thankful for all you give us, all you do for us. We are thankful for the beautiful day that we have, for the opportunity we have to assemble together. Help us, Father, to appreciate this day and the blessings of it. Help us to realize how easily this can be taken away. Uh, we are thankful for it. Help us to make the most of it. Thank you, Father, for the church here and for what it means to us, for allowing us to be part of it. Uh, and help us, Father, to, uh, to be a good reflection of your Son, uh, to take the, uh, the personality, Father, of this congregation around, uh, around about wherever we go, whether it be at work or school. Uh, just help us to be a reflection of, of the church here, which hopefully is a reflection of your Son. We're thankful, Father, for your Son and for what he has done on our behalf, for his death, for his, um, for his sacrifice. And we pray, Father, that you ask us to, or that you help us to, uh, to be better each day. Forgive us for our sins, Father, and strengthen us where we have weakness. And just help us each day, Father, to be a reflection of him. We ask for your blessings on many who are sick, uh, many who are struggling. Uh, many, Father, on a prayer list struggling with their health. Many who are not on the prayer list, Father, who struggle with many other things in their life. Help us to be an encouragement to all those we come in contact with. Help us to, uh, to take every opportunity that we have to be an encouragement and to do what we can to help those around us. Uh, bless us today, Father, in our worship. May it be edifying to each of us. May it be uh, pleasing to you. Uh, just help us to uh, take advantage of this opportunity together. Uh, guide our lives, protect us, forgive us, guide us in all things. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Number two or three. Hallelujah. What a Savior.
morning. As human beings, it's our natural inclination to place ourselves in the center of everything we do and to think about how we're going to be affected before we consider the needs, necessities, and feelings of others. Even when we exhibit a caring attitude, many times our choices are rooted in selfish pride, knowing our actions will receive recognition and, and feed our ego. We want a name for ourselves, or at the very least, we want to succeed at our goals. At this time in our service, we have the opportunity to remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who had the opposite attitude. Jesus looked to the needs of others before he considered himself, the one who is the very essence of God, who is complete in himself, um, considered your needs and my needs before his own. Jesus voluntarily accepted pain, humil humiliation, contempt, and disgrace to serve and love us because he knew the sacrifice of himself was the only way that we could be saved from our sins. To help prepare us for the, uh, the taking of the Lord's Supper this morning, I would like to read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility, humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus emptied himself of his glory, left his place in heaven, took upon himself the form of a bondservant, and died on the cross for the sin of a fallen humanity. There's no more worthy example of selflessness and humility than that. Let's pray for the bread. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, Lord, just so thankful, Father, that, that we have a time like this that we can stop and we can reflect upon your son, Jesus, Lord, we are so thankful for his sacrifice, for his love for us, that he was willing to go to the cross to, to die for us, Father, to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. And Father, we pray that, that we would take on the mind of Jesus, that we would be more like him, that we would be more selfless, and, and we would look to the needs of others before ourselves and, and think about others, Father. And we thank you so much for his example for all that he does for us and for the hope of eternal life that we have because of of your son jesus father we pray for the bread at this time which is representative of jesus's body we just pray that you would be with each one of us as we take it it's through jesus we do pray amen
1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's Jesus' blood that he shed on the cross that does save us from our sin and give us hope of eternal life. Let's pray for the, the cup. Father in heaven, we come to you once again, Lord, just so thankful, Father, that we serve such a loving God, a God that would send his son Jesus to this earth to, to live as we live, to, to serve and to, to be our example. And we're so thankful, Father, that, that he was willing to go to the cross and endure the pain and suffering that he did to, to be separated from you as he took our sins upon him. And, and Father, we're so mindful at this time of, of his blood that he shed, that does cover up our, our sins and we recognize that we are sinful, Father, that, that we need a Savior, and we're so thankful that Jesus is that. And We ask your blessings at this time upon the, the fruit of the vine, Father, that does represent Jesus' blood, and just, again, pray that you would be with each one of us as we take it. Through Jesus we do pray. Amen. That concludes the Lord's Supper. Typically at this time is when we would pass the trays for the offering, but of course with everything going on with COVID, we've placed buckets in the back of the church that uh, the elders just asked if, um, if you would, would you place your offering back there? And You know, a lot's been going on, obviously, with our country and a lot of uh, challenges that we're facing, but we're still a very blessed nation, so many resources and so many blessings that, that uh, God has given to us. And the work of the church continues, and um, those blessings and uh, resources are still being used and uh, put to good use. So let's uh, pray for our giving at this time. Dear God, we come to you this morning so thankful, Father, for the many blessings that you give us each and every day. We're so thankful for our families and our jobs and our homes and the food that you provide us, Father. So thankful for the church here at Rome and our church family, Father, we're mindful, Lord, that all good things come from you. This time, Father, we ask your blessings upon our giving. Just pray that each one of us would, would give with a cheerful heart, be with the elders as uh, they determine what is to be done with the funds that are collected, and just pray that those funds could be put to good use, Father, that will reach our community and, and bring more people to you that will know you and that we can serve and, and love people with those funds, Father. Continue to be with us this day. Watch over us. It's through Jesus we do pray. Amen. Our song before the lesson will be number 599. If you would please, let's stand. We'll sing the first and the third verses. <clears throat> Try.
Scripture reading for this morning is taken from uh, Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 32. Matthew 18, 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, he, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us today. Uh, grab your Bibles and be turning to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. Uh, we've been walking through a series on the book of Psalms over the last couple of weeks. Uh, don't think, just because I've jumped to 137, that that series is almost over. It's not. Uh, we're going to go through uh, August, I think, with this series. Uh, I hope it's blessed you as much as it's blessed me. I love the book of Psalms, and each time I've gotten to delve into a brand new psalm, I have a brand new appreciation for that psalm. You probably recognize this song, psalm, at least if you've got your Bibles open. You may not recognize its notation as Psalm 137, but I bet you recognize the words. We're going to dive into that uh, with the text, but before we do that, I kind of wanted to share this week how um, my process, how I'll walk through uh, preparing a lesson, because I think it's kind of important this week. Uh, usually, Especially in this series, uh, I'll, I'll just pick a psalm that I think teaches us something about God. Remember, in this series, we're meeting God in his virtual temple in the book of Psalms. And so psalms can teach us something about God. And I think each psalm teaches us something different about him, at least a nuance about him. And so we've just kind of been picking some psalms that I thought were interesting that speak to what we're currently going through, either a message of hope or a challenge that we're struggling with and something that we need to rise to the occasion for. And so Psalm 137 fits into that category this week. Uh, I walked through the text and I, about Wednesday, thought, I've got this down. I, I know what the psalmist is trying to, to say in Psalm 137. I took my day off on Thursday and then Friday I came back in and worked on the application process. What does this psalm mean to us? Uh, and I already had what I thought it meant to us on Friday. And so I just came in and I started thinking through what uh, that would look like, like what I would say and the verses I could point to and things like that. Um, and by the time Friday afternoon came along, I was thinking, how did I get from this text to my point that I want us to leave with today? Um, this psalm pivots very quickly. A lot of the psalms do. Uh, a lot of them, like we've talked about in the past, go from lament to praise very quickly. And they'll pivot on a dime. Uh, and you'll start off singing a, and praying a psalm of, of lament, just crying out to God. Uh, there's injustice. There's pain. Uh, I, I'm, I'm in a dark place. These are lament psalms. But then as you work through the psalm, it'll pivot and it goes into praise, uh, where you're just extolling God for what he's done, how he's rescued you, who he is. Um, so you see pivots in Psalms regularly. This Psalm's not going to do that. I don't think this is a lament Psalm, although it's going to pivot hard. And so hang with me as we walk through um, this, this passage. And I think it's got a challenge for us today that, that we need to hear. Let's walk through the text. 
Psalm 137, verse 1. Listen to what the psalmist says. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Now, here we have something that's kind of exciting. We have the ever-elusive time marker. In the book of Psalms, you don't find a lot of the psalmists saying, hey, this is when I wrote this psalm, and this is where I was at. This psalm, we have both. And so this is kind of a unique psalm in the book of Psalms, simply because we know when it was written, and we even know where it was written. The Israelites are in Babylonian exile as this psalm is written. They are sitting by the waters of Babylon. Uh, if they're in Babylon proper, there was a river. The Euphrates River runs through or ran through the city of Babylon. And they would have tributaries uh, cut off from the Euphrates River that would kind of water and irrigate the entire nation of Babylon. Somewhere, a section of the Jewish community that's been taken into exile is now sitting beside some of those waters. And as they're looking back over all the things that they've lost... They are in an incredible, maybe an unmeasurable amount of pain. Um, they have lost things that we can't really begin to fathom. They're in grief. They're in loss. They're in incredible emotional, spiritual, probably even some physical pain. They're slaves in this land. Uh, they don't want to be there. They were carted off in humiliation. And so here they sit in Babylon, and they're thinking about all the things, reviewing in their mind all the things that they've lost. Maybe that's something like you've done over the last couple of weeks, over the last couple of months, as we went through quarantine, as we still deal with the masks and the social distancing and all those kinds of things. As you go home today and you sit down over the, over the supper lunch table, 10 to 1 says you're going to say something along the lines of, doesn't it, isn't it, doesn't it make you mad that we have to wear the mask and keep social distancing? Or that some thought like that will come up, right? It comes up in our house regularly. All we're doing is reviewing the things that we've lost, right? It's a part of the grieving process. They're in that process even more than we are. Infinitely, maybe more than we are. Because they have lost so much. It's not just that they've lost their freedom, although that's true. They're no longer their own people. They're in Babylon. They have to do what the Babylonians say now. It's not just that they lost their homeland, although that's true. Jerusalem has been destroyed. Judah is no longer a nation. They are not even in their homeland anymore. Most of them, at least half of them, have been transported to a variety of different places in Babylon. Don't think that in the exile, when Nebuchadnezzar took the Jews, that he planted them all in one spot is about the size of Rome or Proctorville. That's not what happened. He dispersed them all throughout his kingdom, and so families were broken up. The Jewish people are very uh, family-oriented, and so extended cousins would be like brothers. Uncles would be like second fathers. And so families were segmented and spread out all throughout the nation, never to see one another again. It's not just that, though. It's not just that that they're mourning. It's not just that they've lost Jerusalem and the walls have been torn down. Although they obviously, from the book of Nehemiah, have an incredible um, pleasure in those walls, right? Those walls are, are significant. They mean safety. They mean uh, God is protecting his people. And that, that, uh, that no one can come against 
Jerusalem. And you see that as they rebuild the walls. It's not just that. It's more than that. It's not even just that. The temple has been destroyed. The place where they go to meet with God. In this psalm, it means a little bit more than that even. Here he says, when we remembered Zion. Now, Zion is a usual Old Testament term for the city of Jerusalem. It's one of the ways uh, that they would refer to the city of Jerusalem. It's a synonym. But it means more than just the city. When you see Zion in the Old Testament, even when you see Jerusalem in the Old Testament on uh, many occasions, it's a reference to God's presence. It's not just a city. You know, we think a lot of Rome, we think a lot of Proctorville, right? This place is special. It's, it's neat. Being a small town, a family, it's cool. Jerusalem is more than that. It's not just any special city. This is God's city where God's presence lives. He dwells here in his place, in the temple, and his people can go to that temple and meet with him there. And that has been destroyed thanks to the Babylonians. As they sit down by the waters, this sign of opulence and wealth Waters. Not everyone in the Middle East have waters. Have water. <laughs> but the Babylonians have waters. Plural, right? So as they sit down in the midst of this opulence and wealth, they're looking over their last year, two years, five years. They're in exile for 70 years. We're not exactly sure exactly when this uh, was written during that 70-year time span, but sometime they're reviewing their life. And they're reviewing the things that they've lost. And the thing that their mind keeps on sticking against is the fact that God's presence is no longer with them. He's not there anymore. He's withdrawn from, from them. His temple has been destroyed, the place where he lived, and now he's been, quote-unquote, forced back into heaven. And so their mind keeps on sticking on that point when they review the things that they've lost. And so listen to Psalm 137, verses 2 and 3. He says, on the willows there, we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. So these Zion songs are a, a category in the book of Psalms. And if he's referencing this particular category of psalm, which they would have been familiar with, um, Psalm 46 is actually one of those psalms. We walked through this psalm a couple of weeks ago. As we study this particular psalm, you can go back and listen to the lesson on our Facebook or our YouTube or whatever. But this is the kind of song that, they're, that the Babylonians are asking the Israelites to sing. This, the Zion songs are nationalistic psalms. Um, these are songs that celebrate Jerusalem and God's presence in Jerusalem and how he rescues his people. This would be very much like had we lost the Revolutionary War, England, the Brit British soldiers saying, hey, sing us that, that national anthem song you guys like so much. Well, how did it go again? Sing, sing that little ditty for us. We, we love that. It cracks us up. It'd be a whole lot like that for us. That's what the Babylonians are asking the Israelites to do. And you, you kind of get a picture of it here in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Singing those words by the waters of Babylon would come off as very hollow, wouldn't it? It would come off as very hard. Because where was God? He hadn't protected them. Now, we can get into the theology of that later. He hadn't protected them because they had sinned. And this was a punishment trying to bring them back to him. 
all that's all that's true. But here in Psalm 40, uh, 137, 2 and 3, that's, that's what, that's the emotion that the Babylonians want the Israelites to have. Entertain us. Sing us those nationalistic songs that you like so much, the, those songs about Jerusalem and how, how amazing God's been, how he's going to rescue you. Sing us those, uh, those ditties again. And the Israelites say, not a chance. We're, we're hanging up our lyres uh, on the trees. We're not going to sing those songs anymore. Now, something interesting is happening in this psalm that if you read it too quickly, you might just go right over this. We've talked in the past but our psalms is poetry. It was meant to be read very slowly, very thoughtfully. And so do that with Psalm 137. Realize that a lot of the psalms that were written during the exile were praise psalms. Now that's something you might not expect. Israelites who are in this circumstance, reviewing all their grief, all their loss, you wouldn't expect them to write a whole lot of praise psalms, do you? But in book four, the book that was, Psalms is broken down into five different books, right? Book four is the book that was written during the exile. Something like 66% of the Psalms that were written during the exile were Psalms of praise. It's kind of amazing, right? Where they review what God has done and they praise him for, for delivering them, for rescuing them. So they see that it's not the end. They're, they're coming back. He's reserved a, a seed, you know, a stump, and there's going to be... Um, good days ahead of them as they come out of the exile. Different lesson for a different day. Um, what I want you to see here is they're saying we're hanging up our lives. We're not going to sing those songs. But for Israel, who reviewed their history in song, who reviewed God's rescue of them using music, this is an incredible statement, right? And it's not necessarily um, what actually happened. 130, Psalm 137 is this, this psalmist's knee-jerk reaction to the, uh, to the exile. We're getting some white-hot emotions coming out of this guy. Um, we don't know who wrote it. We know that it was written in the, during the exile. And he's just kind of working through his grief and his loss. And so you find a lot of statements that you may not be th comfortable with theologically speaking. He's using a lot of these words, a lot of these phrases, um, and he's using them just without thinking about them really and they're just they're just this is how he feels he's not making a theological statement here he's trying to get you inside his head this is what he's going through this is the anger and the pain and the hatred and it's just boiling over on him and so you find a little bit of some thoughts here that you may not be comfortable with but i think he's going to serve us in a powerful way today let's let's keep on going through the song so they hang up their liars they're not going to sing the songs um because the Babylonians are, are saying, hey, while you're weeping, uh, sing us one of those happy songs. You know, the songs, the nationalistic songs. And Jerusalem, uh, the Israelites say, we're not singing those songs for your delight. Although they continue singing the songs uh, and reviewing their history. You're going to see that in just a second. Uh, Psalm 137 verse 4 says, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? I don't think, and I'm kind of diverging here from some scholars, some Hebrew scholars. Um, he, he's... A lot of those guys say that this is, this is where the psalm turns into a lament. This is how we know that the song is a lament. I don't think it's a lament. I think it's a battle cry. Uh, I think this is, is, a, is a rallying cry. The Jews are in protest. They're protesting right now 
in, in this psalm. And one of the ways that they're doing it is they're hanging up their, their lyres. We're not going to sing these songs anymore. How can we sing these kinds of songs in this foreign soil? God's not here. These songs are about God. We can't sing these songs here. 137, 5, and 6. Listen to what he says. This is, uh, this is part of the proof um, that they haven't stopped singing and stopped thinking through how God has rescued them in the past. And they haven't given up the hope that He's going to rescue them again in the future out of this exile. Listen to what He says, 5 and 6. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Uh, a lot of scholars think there that He's saying, if I forget how you've rescued me, Jerusalem, Remember, read God's presence when you read Jerusalem. If I forget your presence, Lord, if I forget what you've done in my life, if I forget how you've rescued me, if I forget how good you've been to me, how you've intervened in my life, I want my hand to fall off. So he can never sing those songs again. Um, verse 6, he says, Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. And so the thing that you treasure the most, the psalmist says, if I don't, treasure God's presence, Jerusalem, remember, over that thing, then I don't ever want to talk again. It's not that they stopped singing and thinking through uh, God's deliverance of them. They're just not doing it for the Babylonians. They're still reviewing, still trusting in uh, God. Remember, they wrote more psalms of praise during this time period than they did in any other time period, uh, at least as far as um, per capita, if you will. All right, verse 7. This is where we got one pivot here. Um, so if you're familiar, if you're not familiar with Psalm 137, uh, you're probably familiar with these last couple of verses. These, these will probably strike some chords with you. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. So who are the Edomites? These are the descendants of Esau. Remember Jacob? is, uh, is the, the founder of the nation of Israel, right? He's got a brother named Esau. Esau will be the founder of the nation of, known as Edom. They are not allies. They are not even friends. In fact, they are bitter enemies. Uh, over the span of about a thousand years, these guys are going to fight and bicker back and forth. Although they are cousins and they live close together, they are not allies. They're not even friends. In fact, when the Babylonians came in to destroy Jerusalem... Edom poured gasoline on, on the Babylonian fire. Um, I don't know so much that they helped in the destruction, although that's possible. They could have given swords and, and shields and things like that to help the Babylonians destroy Jerusalem. But certainly there was some mocking going on. They were taking advantage of the Babylonians conquering Israel. And this is one of the chants that is still ringing in the, in the Israelite ears. Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. Tear it apart, Babylonians. Ransack Jerusalem. Don't leave any stone on top of another. Rip it to shreds. That's kind of what they're saying. And here, uh, the psalmist is calling the Lord into a courtroom, for lack of a better term. This word, remember, is a judicial term. Uh, and so he's bringing this into the courtroom, and he's, bringing, he's forming a trial. The, Israel is the defendant, and the Edomites are the, the one being accused while the Lord stands in judgment. And Israel is saying, judge them, uh, judge them, Lord. Repay to them the evil that they've given us. Tear them apart. And he did. The Old Testament prophet Obadiah talks about Edom's destruction. And I'm told today that there's not Edomite blood in anyone living today. Their nation is completely gone. 
In fact, where they lived in and around Israel uh, has been uh, destroyed. Uh, the only things that live there now are, are, are hyenas, uh, even still to this day. So he completely destroyed them because of what they did uh, during this section of Israel's history. And so lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations was the cry that the Edomites gave against Israel. And here in Israel's exile, they're giving it right back to the Edomites uh, as evidence number one of why they should be destroyed. And it's, it's their prayer uh, for God against Edom. Lay them bare, lay them bare down to their foundations. So that is uh, Psalm 137, verse 7. Check out the next couple of verses. If you don't, haven't yet recognized uh, Psalm 137, this is probably where you're going to be. Oh, I remember that song. Uh, so he says, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed be he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. So here, again, he's having this white, hot anger. You're getting his knee-jerk reaction. Had you given the psalmist a year or 10 years or 30 years, looking back across his life, he may not have phrased it like this. But thankfully, to the Holy Spirit, we have his words here reminding us about something that's incredibly important. Let me walk through just a couple of things uh, that you need to know in, from this text, and we'll get into why I think this is uh, important, why uh, it was preserved for us. So what he's essentially here asking God to do is to repay the Babylonians in exactly the same way that they did to Israel. He's using lex talionos, here's the, the uh, Latin word for an eye for an eye, uh, there are some atrocities that happen in war, in every war, right? Uh, it's not a good thing. It's not a kind thing. Things, awful things, terrible things happen in the midst of war. And the Babylonians were kind of the best at it for their day. Uh, they were atrocious, cruel, murderous. Any, any kind of adjective you want to affix here to the Babylonian uh, psyche, they were very, very good at demoralizing war. Um, and so what they did in the exact same measure and in the exact same way, what they did to the Israelites, Israel is praying to God in this courtroom, pleading with God to do that exact same thing in the exact same way to the Babylonians. Crushing. Um, and so why is this, what are we going to do with this psalm? Psalm 137, uh, again, to our 21st century Western ears, begins to sound a little... Um, it brings up some thoughts we're not theologically comfortable with, right? So what are you going to do with it? Well, it helps us to remember that 137 is what's called an imprecatory psalm. This, these are psalms. It's not a small category in psalms either. This is, there's something like 20, around 20 imprecatory psalms out of the 150. And the imprecatory psalms are psalms where the psalmist pleads with God uh, to, do, to, to deliver justice, to, to pour out his wrath. Uh, on the evildoers. Imprecatory psalms are important for us because they remind us exactly how God views sin. We might not have caught that little tidbit that's ever so important for us without the imprecatory psalms painting these just really offensive pictures for us. The Babylonians had sinned, right? They did some evil things. And now the Israelites are saying, justice. They're demanding God repay 
uh, the Babylonians for what they've done to the Israelites. He can't stand wickedness. Listen to what Psalm 7 verse 11 says. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. The implication there that his indignation, his white hot fury, this indignation word is incredibly graphic. He's furious. Uh, the word he uses in Hebrew is a foaming at the mouth. You ever been so mad you foamed at the mouth, you spit came out of your mouth? That's kind of the idea that he's, that he's trying to get across here. God has this kind of fury at what? At sin. He uses this word a couple more times, um, specifically directed at God, uh, being used by God, rather. And it's always directed at sin. This is how he feels about it. And so take all the, the rancor you felt at Psalm 137, especially those last couple of verses, and just how, like, how could, you, how could an Israelite, how could God's people pray that thing? Well, that's exactly how God views sin. It's very highly offensive to him. Second thing, uh, we don't have time to walk through all the things that I want to say about uh, this application here. I'm trying to get to, to where I want you to get to, but you don't need to miss this little tidbit here. Psalms 135 through 138 are a cohesive unit, I think. Remember, Psalms is an edited book. Um, Psalms was not written in this chronology. Uh, somebody came along after they were all written and, and put them in specific spots. And we've showed in the past, uh, I think with uh, Psalms 1 and 2, how this is an edited book. There's a lot more than that. Um, but you see it popping up here again in Psalms 135 through 138. And so there's one thought that runs through each one of these psalms, and it's this thought that we talked about last week. And that's why I'm teaching it here. Uh, I didn't want you to think, oh, 137, we're only, what, like 15 psalms away from 150. We're almost done. We're not almost done. Uh, but these two thoughts overlap, so I wanted to, to present them here because I think, I think there's some, some overlap here. Uh, this word is hased. And, and for us, uh, the best way we can probably translate this, this word, um, again, we talked about last week how this word is translated, I think, 169 different ways in six different English translations. This is the untranslatable word. Uh, usually, translators want to do word for word. And so, like, if you've got one Hebrew word or one Greek word, they want to provide one English word for it. And it's just not how it works. A lot of times in Hebrew... Are Greek, but this word especially is very tough to translate. But the best we can maybe do with it is love plus commitment. It's a committed love, a loyal love, a faithful love. And that's what God has for us. Look back in Psalm 136. <clears throat> you see it in 135, you see it in 138. Um, you don't see the, the thought in 137, you don't see the word in 137, but you, you feel the thought. And we'll get to that in just a second. But listen to 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. And he goes on for 26 verses like that. Scholars, seem, the scholars think that, that the priest would have read the first part of each stanza. You know, like, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then the congregation would have responded, for his steadfast love endures forever. The priest would have read, give thanks to the God of gods. And then the congregation would have responded, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so this was a call and response a psalm. Um, all about 
God's hased, his committed love. That's, that's what he's saying. His steadfast love here is our translated word, hased. He's talking about God's committed love. He starts off talking about it in 135 when he reviews the Exodus and the conquest of Canaan. God's presence was there. His committed love was there. And that's the only reason those things happened. And he goes on for several verses talking about that. He brings up those same concepts in 136. He gives us the time marker in 137 where he says this happens in exile. Even in exile, his hased is there. His committed, faithful love is there. Even in the midst of your darkest day. And then 138 is a psalm of David. So go back 500 years um, before the exile and you find God's steadfast love, his hased, is still present. It covers everything, right? Incredible theological point that, once again, we don't have time to deal with. <laughs> what I want you to get to is here in Matthew chapter 18. Go back, to, go back to Psalm 137. i got Matthew 18 on the board for you. Go back to Psalm 137 and look in verse 6. Remember I told you that, that Psalms pivot, and this one pivots especially hard? On our application especially, we start trying to think, of what does this psalm to mean? What does this psalm mean to me? We pivot here in Psalm 137. And he kind of punches us in the face a little bit. Because he's talking about justice, right? And he's talking about uh, a judicial justice where these people need to be punished. Awful things need to happen to these people, Lord. Uh, we're, we're depending on you to bring that justice about. But then he says this really interesting term that kind of kicks our brain over to the New Testament. <coughs> He says in verse 6, Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. I don't know if we're supposed to see this connection or not. But it seems like it's too obvious to miss. Remember, Psalms is meant to be read thoughtfully, slowly. And so as we read through this psalm thoughtfully and slowly and try to apply it back to our lives, we see justice at the very base level of Psalm 137. Justice. We don't really get that, though, do we? We don't really understand justice. Let me take you back to the cross, because Jesus used this exact word. His tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth. That, that thought is there in Jesus' crucifixion. Remember, he says, I, I thirst, and the soldier tried to give him some, some water. And so when we read that phrase in this psalm that's caught up in this idea of justice, our mind pivots from kill them, hurt them, give them the same kind of pain that I'm giving to forgiveness. Isn't that kind of phenomenal? Wednesday, I was, I was fired up Wednesday. I was like, kill them. I got this. I got the context here. I understand this completely. Uh, the Israelites want condemnation to happen. They want the worst possible things to happen to the Babylonians, just like the Babylonians gave to the Israelites. And then I came in Friday, and I started studying forgiveness, and my mind kind of exploded a little bit. And he pivots here from justice, 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 because on the cross, shouldn't have been Jesus, should it? Remember, God has indignation, white-hot fury every day. My sin. I should have been the one on the cross. That should have been you on the cross. Taking the penalty for 
your and my sin. But it wasn't, was it? It was Him, the creator of the universe, God, paid the penalty for my sin. Justice. Sin had to be paid for, right? The ransom had to be given, but I didn't have to pay it. It's kind of phenomenal, right? He paid it, so I didn't have to. And until we grasp that idea of the cross, we're never really going to understand justice. There's a lot of things going on in our world, in our situation, uh, our current situation, where a lot of people react with, well, that's not just, that's not right. And anger and fury, sometimes white-hot fury or sarcasm, is how we deal with it. Listen to what Matthew 18 says to us. This is, a, this is a parable Jesus told about two servants. One servant was forgiven a mountain of debt. We're talking like national debt kind of debt. Uh, this is trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. This is a fortune of debt that this guy was forgiven. He comes to the king who he owes the debt to, and he, he pleads with him, you know, forgive my debt. And the king says, you know what? It's forgiven. Don't worry about it. The servant goes out and he finds the guy that owes him 10 bucks. And he throws him against the wall and he says, pay me what you owe me. And the servant pleads with him and says, well, just give me a little bit of time and I can give you what, you owe, what I owe you. And the guy says, no, and he throws him in prison. You heard during the scripture reading what happens to that original servant when the king finds out about it. Of all people, God's people need to be dispensers of forgiveness. We need to be the people who give out second chances, third chances, 15th chances, 21st chances. We need to be the dispensers of mercy and love. We need to react to our current culture who is caught up in justice by saying, I was forgiven an incredible amount. How am I going to hold you to a different standard? That's biblical theology. And that's one of the things I think we get from Psalm 137. Justice. He didn't give us what was just. He gave us what was kind. He didn't give us what was just. He gave us what was loving. He forgave us when I should have paid the penalty to the exact degree of my sin. But that's not what he did. He gave me forgiveness. And so as we deal with people, maybe that are angry or maybe that are demanding justice, or as we demand what we think is just, let's let people off the hook. Let's give grace. Let's give forgiveness. Because he's a God of forgiveness. This morning, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, your sins are still, you're still accountable for those things. He's still uh, looking at those things. You're, you're still on the hook for those things. But the good news of Christ is you don't have to be. He sent His Son to pay the penalty for your sin. And so you can get out of 
that sin by being baptized into his blood, having your sins washed away. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning. You just need the prayers of the church to be who you ought to be, to live in a manner that is loving and kind and worthy of the sacrifice that was given for you. If you have any need this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing? great day. Enjoy this beautiful summer day. This world is Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you today, Lord. We pray that our worship was according to your will and in truth and in spirit. We pray that you'll be with those who are traveling, Lord. We pray that you'll keep them safe. We pray that you'll be with those who are sick and those who are caring for the sick, Lord. We pray that you will watch over them as well. Lord, we thank you for 
our families. We thank you for the blessings you give to us each and every day. We pray that you will continue to watch over us, keep us safe, keep us healthy, and may we return again. Lord, we pray that you will forgive us uh, of our wrongs, and may we continue to look to you, and may we always try to do your will as best as we can. Watch over us, go with us, and it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. We're dismissed. <laughs>